most accurate podcast here for football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today for the Week 10 preview show, friend in life, working around the clock, none other than John Paulson. How are you doing, Paulson? I'm doing all right. We're having a big um, Thursday night watch party of this amazing Why? Bears Panther. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Like, oh. I'm kind of trying to treat it like it's a Super Bowl party, but uh, yeah, we're we're just getting getting ready over here for the for this wonderful game tonight. You scared me for a second. I thought, what am I missing? What's the what's the event I'm supposed to be telling you congratulations about? Certainly not for tonight. We will get into that though. Four teams on by. Lots of potent players that we are missing in our lineup. So hopefully we can pinpoint a few stand-in options for everyone as we move along. Before we begin, though, reminder, the pro subscription, practically every subscription, actually, at 44.com right now is slashed in half. Even the pro subscription, where you can find all of Paulson's weekly rankings, projections, jump in the Discord and talk to us as well to hear everything, slashed in half entirely, just $29 for the rest of the season. Pretty crazy. So it is never too late to jump in. Even if you would like to try to recoup some of those redraft dues, the betting boys, Connor Allen, Ryan Noonan, have had a terrific week, a couple of weeks. And so they created their own promo code too, Bet50, to continue getting even more off of the betting subscription. So a long way to go. Over half of the season left for both DFS and betting beyond redraft football. So it's all there at 44.com for you. We begin, Paulson, with your party that's happening between the Panthers and the Bears this evening. No Khalil Herbert. That's the latest news we received, which is kind of always the way those things happen. Whenever you have a bye or 10 days rest coming up, it really doesn't matter about your practice participation. It's just wiser to keep you out. And so for that, it looks like we're going to get another start for Deontay Foreman, Tyson Bajant, Bryce Young coming off of that hellacious performance, not in a good way, which we talked about last week, given young struggles against zone coverage. It continued against the Colts last week. So let's begin with the Bears offensive side of the ball and how you think their running back situation will shake out. Well, it was I think it was a little surprising last week that Foreman carried the ball 20 times, Roshan Johnson just twice, Darrington Evans once. Uh, so it had been kind of a three-way committee the previous game. And uh, last week against the Saints, it was pretty much all Foreman. Um, mm-hmm. So things could shift back. Uh, but right now, I think Foreman is the play in this backfield. The The Panthers are 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to the running back position. So I think he could have a pretty good game tonight. And then, you know, through the air, Cole Komet's been, you know, after a week plus of Bet uh, Bajent just ignoring Cole Komet. They've apparently made up, and now he's uh, targeting Cole Komet uh, pretty heavily. I think he's got 18 targets in his last two games, six for 55 and two touchdowns last week. Uh, Darnell Mooney is the only player to have more receiving yards. He had 82 yards. So I'm a little bit worried about DJ Moore just in, in this one and um, feeling pretty good about Foreman and, and Komet heading into to Thursday Night Football. Foreman definitely the safest play among their options. But again, it was because they hung around surprisingly against the saints. Uh, Even Tyson Bajan had 70 rushing yards in that game as he was scrambling to keep them having life. And as we've talked about in the past, Deontay Foreman is a front runner in games that the bears hang around or get a lead. He's the player they lean on. Also remember 
Roshan Johnson was dealing with the flu last week. And so I think that's why he had limited touches. Whereas I'm hearing that he's much healthier tonight. Maybe it doesn't matter since he was always only used in negative game script to this point, but it just depends on how you think the bears fare in this matchup, because even at the last two weeks for the Panthers defense, they've been so much better against the runs ever since Frankie Lubu and everyone got a little bit healthier in their front seven. Uh, these past two weeks, Devin Singletary, three yards per carry, Damian Pierce, 3.8, Zach Moss, 3.7. Even Jonathan Taylor got there because he scored, but he had 2.6 yards per carry. Panthers defense has been so much better blocking the run. So I'm a little bit more worried about Deontay Foreman than consensus, but just in terms of who offers the highest floor, sure, he's the matchup here. On the other side of the ball, uh, it also comes down to what we saw was more of Miles Sanders being involved last week. And now we have words out of Frank Reich that he still thinks he's going to ride the hot hand. So how are you ranking Hubbard and Sanders for everyone? Yeah, I'm a little lower on uh, Hubbard, uh, certainly lower than last week, lower than consensus, higher than consensus on Miles Sanders. Just watching, I, I was watching a little bit of that Carolina game because I had uh, Hubbard going in one of my leagues and he did okay. Uh, he ended up with 16 carries for 58 yards, but th just 3.6 yards per carry. Miles Sanders, six for 39, 6.5 yards per carry. He looked uh, like he had a little more juice. He also caught three passes for 22 yards. Hubbard caught four for nine yards. Uh, it just seems like uh, with the way that uh, Frank Reich spoke in the in the uh, press conference and that this is going to be a rotation pretty even, I would think, and they might even work Raheem Blackshear in here and there. But like it's it's tough to decide who to rank, uh, you know, higher Hubbard or Sanders. They have the more financial investment into Sanders, but they were not afraid to ride Hubbard when he was playing better. And now that the tables have sort of turned, maybe uh, they go back to Sanders as the lead back. But I think it just depends on that first quarter and how, how the two guys are running. It's also concerning because, yes, Hubbard's the one who's had 17 and 20 touches these past two games. But he's performing how Miles Sanders got himself bitched. So it's like, OK, you got the touches, but now you're doing the same thing that got the other guy bitched. So I I'm a little more worried about Hubbard in this spot. Also, remember, the Bears' defense has been really good against the run. I think it's because they made two major splashes in the offseason, one being T.J. Edwards, but just 3.2 yards per carry allowed to opposing running backs. That's that's how they've performed all year long against opposing runners. So I don't think it's as good of a spot as a lot of people do. And a lot more confidence in Adam Thielen. Remember, last week against zone coverage, that's what Thielen has also struggled against this year. Um, literally the wide receiver 50 in target per route run against zone coverage. But the Bears, because they have a shutdown corner in Jalen Johnson, run a lot more cover one uh, single high scheme or two safety high schemes compared to the Colts, who Gus Bradley only leans on zone coverage. So I also don't mind going back to the well with Thielen, similar to Cole Komet. Yeah, I think Going, Thielen is Thielen's like the one <laughs> confident play in the whole Carolina yeah. team. Yeah, which so. is which is crazy considering he's coming off his worst performance of the year. But uh, I just run it back out, and I have confidence in him. Going to Sunday in Germany, the Colts at the Patriots. Josh down, shaky for this one. But let's begin on the Patriots side of the ball because without any healthy receivers, basically. 
we saw them turn to a league high rate of two tight end sets. Mike Jasicki, you wouldn't know it from the box score because he didn't have uh, any receiving yards, but he actually led the Patriots a routes run. And Hunter Henry returned back into our lives with a touchdown because he was also out there for nearly as many routes as Jasicki, just one fewer. Meanwhile, it was basically only Demario Douglas and a rotation behind him with Judas Schuster and Tyquan Thornton and Jalen Rager. So really, I think the only competent plays here are Demario Douglas, Hunter Henry, and Ramondre Stevenson for the Patriots offense. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with that. It was nice to see Stevenson uh, break off a 64-yard run. Uh, he has had a rough year, but uh, did well against the Commanders. And this is, you know, I think the Commanders are going to be a defense for us to target uh, moving forward, given that they trade. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. Two of their best uh, uh, defensive linemen. Uh, they only they still only gave up 17 points to the Patriots, which just kind of tells you where the Patriots' offense is at at this point. Uh, agree with you that Demario Douglas would be the play at. Uh, receiver with Hunter Henry sprinkling in as a tight end streamer. He's definitely back on the radar after a few quiet weeks, but uh, with Kendrick Bourne out uh, rest of season, uh, Mac Jones is going to lean on the guys he trusts. And one of the guys he trusts is Hunter Henry. The only other guy I would want to mention is Juju Smith-Schuster. And yes, he's in a rotation uh, behind Demario Douglas. You mentioned the the routes run. Uh, Demario had 39 Jalen Rager at 32 and uh, caught one pass on six targets. He's just Missing. not a efficient receiver, has never been. Uh, not sure what the Patriots are seeing in him. Maybe they see something that uh, we don't. But Juju Smith-Schuster, at least in 19 routes, is earning targets on those routes. He had seven targets on 19 routes. So, you know, in the past, he's a proven PPR 10-point, you know, in a short week where we have KC – uh, Miami and uh, Philly on by. There's lots of receiver problems that you might want to run Smith Schuster out there in a PPR format because he could get you 10, 11 points, uh, you know, in a spot start. And Demario Douglas, I don't even consider a must play. No one exciting. It's like you mentioned with so many by like so many good players on by and so many injuries happening, you can throw him out there, but he's kind of like he's a lot like Michael Thomas, where he's actually closer to being dropped than he is being started by like winning fantasy teams because they kind of do the same thing. They just meander around five catches for 60 receiving yards as possession receivers and don't actually have a tantalizing ceiling. But everyone's roster is totally different. So if you're in that position where you need those points plugged in, uh, Demario Douglas is one of those guys who just fits the mold this week. On the other side of the ball, we saw the change that we weren't sure when it would happen. And that was Jonathan Taylor, a not only a season high in snaps, but 23 touches to Zach Moss's seven. That's the kind of alteration we need for him to get there as a ceiling play. And he didn't get there, struggled on the ground, as we mentioned earlier, but still five catches for 21 yards and a receiving score certainly helped. So we have a lot more confidence in Jonathan Taylor moving forward. We lose confidence in Zach Moss as a flex option in this spot. And for a redraft temperature. I will say I did trade in one of my home leagues this upcoming week, uh, John, a fifth round pick next year. And it's just a redraft keeper league, but a fifth round pick next year for Jonathan Taylor. That's kind of how I view him rest of season because him, like a couple other backs I'll mention throughout the show are guys. I want to go into the fantasy playoffs with now that their schedule and usage uh, are forcing the stars to align. 
Yeah, it was a, it was mainly a question of how quickly this would happen. And if Zach Moss kept playing great, you could see them in a 60-40 or a 55-45 timeshare. But Zach Moss has kind of fallen off a little bit. The running game wasn't going really for either guy last week against Carolina, as you alluded to earlier, talking about the Panther defense improving. Uh, but certainly you can't you know, look at 23 touches uh, for, for Jonathan Taylor as a bad thing. He ended up with 69 total yards and a touchdown. So he delivered uh, most of what we sort of thought he would. And, you know, moving forward, I think we're looking at the Jonathan Taylor backfield. They gave him all that money for a reason. And the only reason that Moss was still hanging on to a big role was that he was really playing, uh, running the ball really efficiently. And that, that, that sort of uh, has, has stopped. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. And now you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday, and become eligible for instant win prizes. And best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer and was convinced by a friend to try Little Caesars pretzel stuffed crust pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, everyone wins with Little Caesars convenient delivery or in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesars app and have your friends grab it on their way over to watch the game. That's how you enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Pizza, pizza. Prize Picks is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, Prize Picks is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their Prize Pick stat projection. It's that easy. Quick withdrawals, an enormous selection of players, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. Price Picks even offers in-game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together with more AJ Brown receiving yards or less Jordan Love passing yards. Now it's possible. Just go to PrizePicks.com/accurate and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. Price Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. Assuming Downs is out, where would you have Michael Pittman ranked? I've got him pretty high. You know, I think it. You know, he's been the one consistent target for Gardner Minshew. I, you know, right now I don't have Downs in the in the rankings at all. It just looks like he's going to be out. So I've got Pittman ranked as a high end wide receiver too. Um, it's not a fantastic matchup or anything, but you just look at last week's box score. He's got eight targets of the 20, 26 pass attempts for Gardner Minshew. Uh, Alec Pierce might poke his head up, but he's not a big target earner. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie actually out-targeted him last week, three to two. Uh, and they've obviously got the the running backs that they throw to there and the tight ends they throw to, but it's just all very spread out. So Michael Pittman's the one one guy there that you could trust. And I do worry about this spot for Gardner Minshew if everyone's in deeper leagues trying to figure out who they can plug in to pad for Jalen Hurts someone's bye week, given that 
Like the Patriots are blitzing at the league's fourth highest rate. And that's really where Minshew has struggled this year. 44% completion rate, five yards per attempt against the blitz. So I just don't think it's a good spot overall for the Colts passing game here. Moving on to Sunday. Let's begin with the Packers Steelers because we talk about guys that, okay, maybe now we can buy high considering we didn't get them earlier for the fantasy playoffs. And that leads me to Aaron Jones because we finally saw him back at full strength. Fresh off season highs and touches with 24, a share of their backfield touches, 63%, and a 24% target share. In this short-term spot, Steelers are also allowing the sixth most yards per carry to opposing running backs. And Aaron Jones is so important to this offense because they have to keep hiding Jordan Love. So I enjoy Aaron Jones the rest of the season too. Yeah, this is as a Packer fan and watching Aaron Jones's usage over the last several years, this was really weird. I mean, I didn't even realize it until after the game that he had 24 touches. Like, this is extremely high usage for him. I would yeah. not expect this moving forward for him. Uh, you know, he has typically, when he's been fully healthy, been in that 15 to 18 touch range with Dylan. Uh, and maybe it was because they were able to, you know, have 24 touches for Jones and then also have 10 touches for Dylan. Like, that's a lot of backfield touches for the Packers. So, Maybe that was part of it, but uh, I would not expect this sort of workload going forward, but it was nice to see him get this sort of usage. And I don't know if maybe uh, Matt LaFleur is like feeling like he's a little bit on the hot seat and really needed this win against the Rams. I mean, it would have been really embarrassing had they not beaten the Rams at home without Matthew Stafford. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the the Steelers. Uh, it This Steeler defense has struggled this year from a numbers standpoint, but it seems like they're doing a little bit better lately uh but uh, you know jones i think is a solid rb2 high-end rb2 this week and dylan is just kind of you know a 10 touch guy that you know he may not even gain 30 40 yards from from scrimmage because he's just not getting uh, the ball enough i think there's something personally just from the outside looking in i really do think there's something to they under or matt lafleur understands this is how the offense has to work for them to be successful. And like you said, he's on the hot seat. Your best player by a mile is Aaron yeah. Jones. Not only that, but like literally Jordan Love, only PJ Walker has a lower completion rate from a clean pocket. Like it hasn't been good, even when he's not under pressure. And how do you get rid of that problem? Like with Taysom Hill, right? Coming into the red zone, we'll get there in a bit uh, because they have to take their worst player, Derek Carr, inside the red zone off the field to score. And it's working. How do you take the ball out of Jordan Love's hands? You get Aaron Jones involved more, even if that means more targets uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. So logically, I think it makes a lot of sense, which is why I kind of want to do buy high and wish cast this elite usage onto Jones rest of season. Well, he's certainly the best player. So I think the frustrating thing for fantasy uh, managers is that they just don't, they haven't used him consistently at all, but this is a good step forward. You know, 24 touches. I just don't think, we should expect that. You know, I think 20, 18 to 20 would be ideal for him just to stay relatively fresh and healthy. Speaking of being completely frustrating, for all the reasons mentioned already, this is not a Christian Watson problem. This is a Jordan Love problem. And it's funny that he's in the same game as Jordan as George Pickens because this is not a George Pickens problem. This is a Matt Cannon and Kitty Pickett problem. And there's a lot of these kind of receivers like this, Calvin Ridley. Chris Olave as well, who just aren't being utilized correctly. Uh, and that's a play calling issue. So we have to just adjust accordingly and understand that these air yards, everyone cites, they don't matter for these players because they have to earn 
everything on the least efficient targets imaginable in the NFL, which are just deep shots on the boundary, the hardest ones to both compete for and catch and lead to the least consistent results. And that is both Christian Watson and George Pickens issues. Yeah, I you know, we we saw Watson explode last year. There were some slants that he took to the house. They also handed him the ball pretty frequently uh, on sweeps and jet sweeps and those things. Uh, they're not doing any of that. He saw just the two targets, caught one. It was a nice catch for 37 yards, but almost injured himself or did injure himself on it. Uh, the Packer offense is not rolling. I, I can I think it's fair to say that Jordan Love has been uh, not very good the last several weeks, but I, I think it's also a Matt Lafleur problem. But he did have 8.8 yards per attempt last week, and I think they went when they were able to go run heavy and feature Aaron Jones. That certainly helped Jordan Love. I just don't trust any receiver uh, right now in this team on this team. I think I actually have Dobbs ranked ahead of Watson because apparently Love flat out told the broadcasting crew last week that when he's in, when he's dropping back, he's always looking for Dobbs or especially when he needs a reception, he's looking for Dobbs. And that includes the red zone where he's, you know, seventh, I think in the league in uh, targets inside the nine yard line. So, or inside the 10 yard line. So Dobbs would be my play just because he's got some touchdown upside Watson. We're just waiting for that big game where they actually use them the way they used them last year which is also odd because it's not like Dobbs is doing anything either. Like he's, he right. scores the touchdowns inside the 10 yard line, but that's where his fantasy points are all coming from. You know, and um, he only had three targets last week. I mean, Musgrave was the one that scored last week, but yeah. you know, Dobbs is not trustworthy, but they're all ranked as wide receiver fours right now. So when it does come to guys like Christian Watson, like I, even I have him in quite a few leagues where I have to plug him in because I just don't have a choice with the bye weeks, but it's not a situation where I want to put him out there this week or perhaps ever. Uh, I don't want to drop him either. I just don't have the courage to, but certainly not a situation where I want to start him unless I have to, or something changes in the Packers offense. And they give him more layups. And as I mentioned with George Pickham, the other side, it's the same thing because now we've seen, in four games with Deontay Johnson, George Pickens' target share dropped from 28% without him to 21%. Even in these past two weeks, just a 15% target share for Pickens. And the kind of targets he gets, that's not enough to get him there. So he's much closer to benchable than he is being a flex option. Whereas Deontay Johnson now, since they returned from the bye, 26%, 35%, and 31% target share. He's back in our lives as that guy who gets pelted underneath. And then he even showed last week on Thursday, he's adding some yak ability now too and can score a touchdown apparently. So Deontay Johnson is definitely back as a wide receiver too, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that that makes a lot of four, four subscribers happy because I was very high on Deontay Johnson, especially in PP, full PPR format. So I had him ranked uh, quite high, solid to high-end wide receiver too. To have him back, you know, giving you seven for 90 and a touchdown on nine targets and dominating the target share is great. I think the Pickens thing is is a little strange, and maybe it's the variance that comes with uh, maybe his he's better at contested catches than he is at his route running and getting open. Uh, but he had, last year, a much better rapport in terms of yards per target uh, than Deontay Johnson did with Kenny Pickett. And then things have, this, the script has flipped this this year and now Pickett is jibing better with with Johnson than he is with Pickens and we, we've seen just Johnson earning target after target after target and he's absolutely the one that's the most trustworthy in this passing game mm -hmm. you know you would think with Pat Fryermuth out 
that Pickens would also be delivering fantasy starter numbers, at least here and there. But he he's, I mean, two catches for minus one yards on five yeah. targets last week. It's pretty miserable. It's it's just not how it works under Matt Canada. Like as frustratingly stupid as it is, that's just not that's not how it works. So uh, we kind of just lost George Pickens along the way. Even if he had have scored that touchdown last week, uh, which everyone was frustrated on Thursday because he didn't drag his toe, which was his fault, he only would have moved up rather than being the wide receiver ninety one on the week he would have finished as the wide receiver 39. So it's not like it even would have been like a massive jump if he got into the end zone. So it is, it is certainly concerning out there for the saints of the Vikings. Let's start with the Vikings side of the ball, because we saw Josh Dobbs come in an amazing story and the targets worked out practically as they did in Arizona for the Cardinals. Dobbs had targeted their tight ends at the second highest rate in the league. And this dude comes off the bitch and Pelts TJ Hawkinson for a 41% target share. Jordan Addison just behind him with the second most targets, but still a 17.2% share, a wide margin between them. So those are the two options we like. I will say, though, I think the to review your column in advance, not that he's going to be in there, I have no idea, but I think the sneaky option here is Alexander Madison because what we've seen lately is that the Saints' run defense has become leaky on the ground. Devin Singletary averaged 4.8 yards per carry on 12 runs. Travis Etienne scored two touchdowns against them. And then JT and Zach Moss combined for seven yards per carry. And as we already talked about, Deontay Foreman last week, 83 rushing yards. Tyson Bajant saved 70. And we know in three games without Cam Akers to start the year, Alexander Madison handled 85% of their running back carries and 81% of their touches. Also a 12.5% target share in that span. So given the way the matchup works out, I think this is finally the one time all year, Paulson, I will be starting Alexander Madison. I was going to say, this is it's week 10, but you're finally on board with Alexander yeah, we're Madison. Coming around. Uh, yeah, he was in my Sneaky Starts uh, article. Definitely a player that, uh, has ascended in value thanks to Cam Akers' injury and the fact that he's just out of the way. I also picked up uh, Ty Chandler in one of my leagues just as a – he's moved up the – Look at that. We're meeting in the middle here 10 weeks later. The contingency. You know, maybe yeah. he's now going to you know be a little bit higher in that contingency uh, ranking uh, uh, for us uh, with Madison still not running the ball terribly well. But, yes, I think he gets there on volume. The, the the funny thing about Dobbs is that, you know, he did have two touchdowns. He ran for 66 yards and touchdown, led the comeback when he still only averaged 5.3 yards per attempt. And I would chalk some, I mean, he was a 5.8 yards per attempt uh, for Arizona, I think. So nothing like when everybody was celebrating that he got uh, traded to Minnesota is to save uh, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, uh, maybe Justin Jefferson's fantasy seasons, but you know, he's not an efficient, hasn't been an efficient quarterback. He's just been sort of low-end competent, much better than what we the unknowns that we were dealing with in the Minnesota depth chart at quarterback, right? So uh, certainly just still probably hasn't moved into an apartment yet. Coming off the plane and doing this and getting the win certainly gives hope to the Vikings fans that they can still make the playoffs. And for, you know, Jordan Addison managers, TJ Atkinson managers, Justin Jefferson managers, there is a ray of light here that you can still start these guys. And with KJ Osborne likely out with a concussion, I think Addison is sort of bordered on bordering on must start territory just from the amount of volume that he's likely going to see. And it doesn't look like Kevin O'Connell is going to change his pass happy ways. I mean, you might he might go a little more trying trying to run the ball. 
uh, with Madison, but it's not like Madison has been, uh, you know, running at an efficient clip that would really justify that. So I think it's going to be a lot of Dobbs passing the ball, and I think that's good for TJ Hawkinson and, and Jordan Addison. It did not start out well, and I was really worried because on three of Dobbs' first four possessions, he had a safety and he fumbled twice. Uh, both times inside the 25-yard line. I was like, oh, no, this is the same thing we saw the past month at Arizona. But to respond on that last drive, including that 22-yard scramble on fourth and seven, good for him. I want Josh Jobs to be a thing so much because he's such a good kid. On the other side of the ball, for the Saints, let's check your temperature on Alvin Kamara's rankings because everyone is getting slightly more worried after just nine carries and 13 touches to Jamal Williams' five. Alvin Kamara's lowest share of backfield touches since he returned from injury. Yeah, I don't even know if we should be comparing his touches to Jamal Williams because Taysom Hill is the RB2, maybe yeah. the RB1. And uh, just he was the RB1 last week. He had 11 carries for 52 yards. Uh, Kamara Amazing. had uh, nine for 26. Kamara had uh, four uh, catches for 44 yards. So we appreciate that, uh, the shout out in the receiving game for Alvin Kamara. Um, Taysom Hill, four catches, 13 yards and a touchdown. So he's the, like Hill's emergence or his consistent role is what's kind of pushing, uh, Alvin Kamara down a little bit. Jamal Williams is getting five, you know, five touches. That's, that's kind of third, second, third type running back touches. So, uh, they, I think the coach speak index, uh, came out and, uh, we were looking at Kamara's usage and it sounded like they don't want to overburden him after when he first came back, they were really, really giving him a lot of touches and now we're back down to 13 touches, which is sort of what the range was when he uh, was sharing backfield with Mark Ingram all those years. Uh, it was really only when Mark Ingram was out that Kamara would explode and have 20 plus touches and score all those touchdowns and everything. Now, he's a good, he's a good player. He can still get there. Um, but you know, I think, I think fantasy managers were hoping for more than 13 touches for whatever it is, uh, 60 yards, uh, 70 yards. So um I'm a little. I would say I'm a little worried uh, with Kamara. I've still got him ranked as a low end RB two, uh, or I'm sorry, low end RB one, but mm -hmm. high end RB two. But Taysom Hill's uh, role in this offense is is certainly affecting him. It's such a shaky situation now that I definitely don't mind getting off of him for the right price ahead of the fantasy playoffs because this Taysom thing, as you mentioned, is the real deal. Derek Carr was literally the league's worst quarterback, 40% completion rate inside the red zone. And what have they done these past two games? Take him off the field inside the red zone and say, we know how to score now. And that's unlocked Taysom Hill, who I do have ranked as the tight end two rest of season. But honestly, Taysom might be over Travis Kelsey. Uh, I can't psychologically get there. It takes breaking your brain to understand that. But just the fact that the last two games – 12 red zone carries, six carries inside the 10-yard line, and this past week, both a receiving and throwing touchdown to Jawan Johnson, funny enough, inside the five-yard line. Like, this is how the Saints score, and they're doing it well. So it's honestly like like rostering Taysom Hill. It's like playing super flex in just a normal half PPR league. Like, you have to start him every week. So, yeah, it, this is the real deal. It's not going away. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit surprising with Juwan Johnson back. I think when he came back, we were thinking things would kind of dry up maybe as a route runner for Hill, but he's still seeing as many targets. He saw five targets, caught four, Juwan, four passes. Juwan Johnson ran around on 71% of dropbacks. I think that was also the most shocking that this guy listed in fantasy as a tight end. They're still playing an actual every down tight end now and just using Taysom Hill everywhere else. Like you have to start him. You have to. Yeah, I mean, 15, 15 touches for your tight end. 
16 when you count the pass count the pass. Just crazy. And for Chris Olave, we already talked about it. Our friend Matt Harmon had a really good video earlier this week where he discussed Olave has only run 7% of his routes on slants, meaning that, like we discussed earlier, they're only giving him impossible targets, which is why like, even his ceiling this past week is basically one scoring touchdown, but not actually a week-winning week. So where are you at with Olave in your rankings? I'm a little lower than consensus on him, but he is getting the, the bulk of the targets. He got eight last week, six catches for 46 yards and a touchdown. He obviously uh, could have had a bigger game, uh, I believe it was the week before against the Colts. Um, I still believe in him, uh, but you know Matt's video does underline the the issue is that we're just not getting him into space with the ball and allowing him to you know have some build some confidence. I mean, he did catch six of eight last week. That's just good. Got there with a the touchdown, but the yardage wasn't wasn't very good. And you just this is you wonder if this is more of a Derek Carr problem um, than anything. But you know, of these guys, it seems like Michael Thomas is starting to dry up here. He, he was a really good floor guy, uh, but he had a goose egg on one target last week. Uh, they did seem like they were trying to get Rashid Shahid a little bit more involved after his big, big game against the Colts, but he still only had three for 22. So it, it really is Chris Olave primarily in the passing game. Although, John, you know, Juwan Johnson and Taysom Hill both got touchdowns last week. Um, I, you still run, you're still starting Chris Olave. You're just hoping that things get a little bit easier for him. The Texans and the Bengals. I think normally I would try to, I would be excited about this game. But one, the Texans are dealing with cluster injuries now. 23 players on their injury report, which is usually an ominous sign of how you will perform the upcoming week. Not only that, but Lou Anarumo for the Bengals, defensive coordinator, has been around so long that we forget he's faced some prominent rookies in his career and stonewalled them. Uh, he held rookie Kyler Murray, the number one overall pick, the 253 passing yards and no passing scores. The Dolphins in Tua's rookie year managed only one offensive touchdown in that game against the Bengals. And Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields combined for, combined for 260 passing yards and one pick against Lou Anarumo in 2021. So I worry about this spot for C.J. Stroud. You're certainly starting him in a redraft league, but in these like week-to-week turnaround payouts like DFS or betting, I don't think this is a spot at all. In fact, I'm probably more comfortable playing the Bengals' defense above anything else. Uh, so your thoughts on the Texans' receivers and how they shake out in your rankings here? Well, I mean, Stroud did what he did last week, and it was incredible. Uh, won me another Yahoo DFS uh, GPP, or at least I finished in the top five. Uh, you know, you had to go back to the, to the Houston stack after the miserable week before. So against the Panthers, right? So and we you know, discussed you, it how the Bucks and we'll get there again. Don't worry. There's another yeah, good the, spot the coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so let me ask you this though. CJ Stroud or Sam Howell? Uh six point pass T D. I have a I have that decision this week. Six point pass T D. Stroud Ooh. or Howell. That is a tough one. Yeah, uh, I've got I'm Stroud not, at seven. Like right someone now. in the chat putting me on the spot. <laughs> I got Stroud at I got Stroud at seven, uh eight, uh Howell at eight, uh we're going to talk more about that game later, but um, you know, it's really hard to bench somebody that just threw for four seventy and five. Right. I mean, I'm sure psychologically it's really, really tough. And there might be people out there like me that have Stroud and Howell on their team. I mean, they weren't hard to get at the start of the year. I picked up mm-hmm. Stroud in this league off the waiver wire. Um, I think this could be a, a still be a good game. Uh, we'll, 
we'll see. Uh, you know, I, the Bengals defense is live. It is at Cincy. The Cincy, you know, offense should score, although they're dealing with injuries to yeah. Jamar Chase and to T Higgins as well. So it may be a little bit more of a grinder than we're expecting. I don't expect the, uh, the Texans to be able to run the ball. So it should be a high volume game for Stroud. I think he's still a pretty confident start, especially with um, Mahomes, Tua, and uh, Hertz, uh, you know, on by this week. It's objectively a better spot for Devin Singletary, but like a lot of guys, even like Tony Pollard and others, the spots really don't matter because that's not how NFL offenses work. Like the Texans cannot run the ball based on their own play calling and own doing. Uh, that's why they're bottom three in the league in yards created before contact, which is an offensive line stat because you have to open up the lanes for your running back before he gets hit. And that's just not happening in Houston. So on one hand, I don't mind starting Devin Singletary because the usage still last week, great without Damian Pierce. 15 to 16 backfield touches, and the Bengals are allowing the league's highest rate of explosive runs this year. So it's a better spot, but I still think he lacks a ceiling. It's not really someone I'm trying to start, although I have more confidence as a touch-based option as opposed to last week's matchup against the Bucs, which was a miserable one. Also pretty frustrating for everyone, understandably so, between Nico Collins... Noah Brown, and Tank Dell. And now we've seen in the five full games Tank Dell has played, not only leading the team with a 20% target share, but when he's been on the field with Nico Collins, he's actually drowned Nico Collins in that Collins is averaging just a 16% target share. The targets are instead going underneath and over the top to Tank Dell instead. So where do you have those two ranked? I have a Collins at 15 and Tank Dell at 16 this week. So both ranked as fairly high end wide receiver twos. And I am actually pretty high on uh, Noah Brown as well. Just after last week's uh, explosion, I've got him um, at 40. So he's one of those, you know, spot start type guys with, with buys that you might want to throw in there uh, in this game. Cause I don't, you know, like you said, I don't think Houston's going to be able to run. Uh, if they're going to stay in this game, it's going to be, have to be through the air and they do have one of the best up and coming quarterbacks in the league. So I think both, you know, I think you got to keep an eye on Robert Woods, though. If he's back at practice, then, you know, and is going to play, then that's going to certainly affect Brown's uh, playing time. We're also keeping an eye on Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, as you alluded to. And we don't have a game without Jamar Chase this year, but going back to last season in four starts without him, it was T. Higgins who averaged a team high 26.2% target share and average six and a half catches and 93 receiving yards. Average. So T. Higgins pops whenever Chase is not on the field. The issue is that Higgins is the one, at least on Thursday, who did not practice. Jamar Chase got in limited reps on the sideline. And we have seen that instance before this year because back in week five, the Bengals didn't have T. Higgins and it was Trenton Irwin who popped up in two wide sets, earning 10 targets and a 22.2% target share. So I think the pivot is Irwin off waiver wires. If you need to start him, if T. Higgins or Jamar Chase is out, but really T. Higgins is the one who should get there as the wide receiver one if Jamar Chase is out. That all uh, that reasoning all makes sense. Uh, I do think that Tyler Boyd probably rostered in, sure. in most leagues, but he's he's certainly more viable if one of these two big guys is out. He's always been able to at least produce something uh, and sometimes have a big game when when either Chase or Higgins is out. But Trenton Irwin is is certainly the really sneaky move if if uh, if Higgins is out. The Browns at the Ravens, the two best defenses in the league, and if you look at our friends. Aaron Schott's DVOA numbers, 
the the Ravens are literally trending as the third best team in DVOA history. That's how good they've been. And based on their 11 personnel usage and passing the ball, terrifyingly, we haven't even seen their ceiling because they're only 23rd in passing touchdown rate this year. Uh, Lamar Jackson MVP numbers are so odd because technically he can't get there as MVP even for a 13-win team if they're just drowning everyone and not allowing him to play. And that's kind of what's happening in fantasy. He's going on social media and apologizing to everyone because their team is so damn good that they don't need to use him at all. Uh, and that's when I kind of worry about this spot for the Browns here. I'm comfortable starting Amari Cooper, but everyone else, Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, Deshaun Watson, David Njoku, I don't know how they get there. Uh, the re- Deshaun Watson this year, his problem has been well, a lot of problems, but it's been the blitz mostly. And against the blitz, he's completed 55% of his passes for less than five yards per attempt. I would think the Ravens just swarm him this week. So the Browns team total is lower than Zach Wilson's team total. If that tells you anything, I think it's a clear sign that the Browns are just going to get walloped this week. Now you should probably bench most of your Browns. And I, I agree that Cooper is the most startable. Uh, and Joku is kind of a mid to, you know, high-end tight end two, but it's just because there's guys out this week that you normally would be starting over him. Um, they're first in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, so definitely Deshaun Watson needs to take a seat. Jerome Ford, Cream uh, Hunt kind of splitting time. Uh, they're 10th against running backs, so that's not a good matchup, plus, plus you're in a committee. Uh, Cooper, they're fourth against receivers, so he, I've got him ranked to 24 this week. And then uh, Njoku, I mentioned, I have him at t- tight end 13. Normally he'd be a few spots higher if he had sort of a normal matchup. I am still encouraged by Jerome for rest of season just to run 26 routes to Kareem Hunts and Pierre Strong's combined eight last week. I think that tells you Jerome Ford is still the one who will get there with more touches every single week, but I'm not looking to start him in this spot as we continue like waning ourselves off players against this historically great Ravens defense. And speaking of committee, on the other side of the ball, more so than Keaton Mitchell leading the team with 10 backfield touches last week, what I look to is their usage in the first half. And that is Keaton Mitchell was in a timeshare out the gates from kickoff. Four touches in the first half. Gus Edwards had four and Justice Hill had four. Keaton Mitchell has a limited ceiling because Gus Edwards is too good to take off the field in that goal line role. Uh, He's converted eight carries inside the five into six touchdowns. He's sticking in that role. But Keaton Mitchell, even when you watch him, just popped on film. And I would imagine they find more intricate ways to use him, especially if we think they're just going to keep drowning their opponents. So I certainly like Keaton Mitchell, though I have my expectations tempered because he's never going to be a 12 to 15 touchback. Yeah, I mean, I have him ahead of of, uh, Justice Hill this week. And just look at Justice Hill last week. 13 carries for 40 yards. He led the team in carries, but I think, you know, there's multiple things that could happen with Keaton Mitchell, but the most likely thing is that he falls into that RB2 role. uh, If he continues to outproduce Justice Hill and Gus Edwards remains in that RB1 role with all these touchdowns that he scores. I mean, he had five carries for 52 yards with a 42 yard run and two touchdowns. Uh, He's been on fire lately, Gus Edwards, but they barely had to use him last week due to the, the score. And I think that played into the the sort of playing time that Keaton Mitchell saw perhaps in the second half. But as you mentioned, it was a committee in the first half. I just think that it's most likely Mitchell falls into that RB2 role. So he's seeing, you know, eight to 12 touches per game in a normal game. 
and Gus Edwards is seeing his typical 15 carries for, you know, 70 yards and a touchdown. Not everyone plays fantasy football like this, so you take it with a grain of salt. But for me, for instance, I have like a start-sit decision between Chuba Hubbard and Keaton Mitchell, and I'm starting Keaton Mitchell because I want that ceiling as opposed to just getting the touches. Yes, Hubbard will out-touch Mitchell, but I I think Mitchell has the significantly higher ceiling on fewer touches. And so that's the way I'm going to play it. I don't care about your meandering touches. So not everyone has to do that, but that's the way I'm kind of viewing Mitchell this week in my start-sit decisions since I do personally think the Ravens just blow the doors off the Browns and thus get Mitchell on the field more. Also, where do you have Zay Flowers ranked for everyone? Uh, a bad matchup against the Browns defense. And now we've seen the last month with Odell Beckham getting healthier. It's not as if you can start Odell Beckham confidently, but like we talked about last week, Zay Flowers doesn't have an end zone target in the entire year. That's not where they use him. Odell Beckham now leads the team along with Mark Andrews with the team high five end zone targets. So like now... They're just using Beckham where it matters most for Zay Flowers' fantasy points, and that's concerning. Yeah, Flowers has been sliding down the rankings over the last few weeks uh, as his as these other receivers have gotten healthy and his target shares have started to drop. He only had one target last week, caught it for 11 yards, and as you mentioned, Odell Beckham caught the touchdown. He was 5 for 56 on seven targets with that touchdown. Uh, I actually picked up Beckham in uh, Scott Fishbowl as an extra receiver, which I'm not starting him this week, but... Uh, it just seems like maybe we're getting to a point where he's sharing that our wide receiver one role with Zay Flowers and does have a, a sizable uh, red zone role uh, to go along with it. And that would be good for his value for sure. Um, so Zay Flowers is kind of falling into the wide receiver three uh, range now just because he hasn't, uh, you know, had a big game in a while and uh, is not, is no longer, you know, he was, fifth or sixth in targets last week. Uh, so that's a that's a big decline for him over what was happening at the start of the year. Titans at Bucks, And we mentioned last week how it was a good matchup for C.J. Stroud given how the Bucks defense has trended out of their bye. And now if you look back over the last month, the Bucks are allowing a 73% completion rate, nine touchdowns, 9.2 yards per attempt, and 26.7 fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks. And here comes Will Levis, because not only the Bucks also allowed a league high 51% of passes to travel 21 yards or 20 yards downfield to be completed against them, but that's all Will Levis is throwing towards. He's averaging a league high 28% of his passes 20 yards downfield. So it's it's the perfect matchup for Levis to explode a la CJ Stroud. And if that's the case, we also know the ball is going to DeAndre Hopkins because Hopkins has a team-high 25.9% target share from Levis, including 37% of those targets seen 20 yards downfield. So that's the combo for me in this game. Yeah, uh, Hopkins ranked in the top 10 uh, this week for me. Uh, obviously, you're starting Derrick Henry. I think this is also uh, Levis's, you know, aggressive, aggressive throws downfield that are also helping him a little bit. But the other player that is spot start possible is Kyle Phillips four for 68 last no, week yeah. five targets that he from a PPR standpoint uh you know he might get you 10 in a, in a tough spot like if you're if you're in a bind certainly going to be available on a lot of uh, waiver wires uh but he is the wide receiver two in this offense right now had five targets uh second most to Hopkins uh amongst the receivers I mean Ty J Spears did, did have six targets but uh Phillips I think is the interesting one here that might be available on the waiver wire our friend J.J. Zacharyson came on 
the show last year with myself. And I will never forget before Phillips was even considered like a draftable player in the NFL. Zach Reeson mentioned that Phillips was high in his prospect model. And then not only did we land Phillips at reasonable draft capital, he just hasn't been healthy for his career. But that's something I always think about that. Oh, he actually pops as a great prospect, according to uh, JJ, whenever he's available. Now we're seeing without Traylon Burks, as you mentioned, three and five targets the past two games for Phillips. So I agree. High floor PPR option, an amazing spot. On the other side of the ball, Rashad White still getting there. Not by his rushing, although he did fall forward for two touchdowns this past week, but just to average that double-digit target share in every game since week two, it's what keeps him afloat weekly. More importantly, we're seeing Kate Otten become an every-down player because in every game since week three, Otten has now run a route in over 80% of dropbacks, and now he's earning the targets too. Uh, 14.5% a few weeks back, two weeks ago, 15.5%, and this past game, a team-high 30% mark. So we are getting a little more confidence in these players around Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Yeah. And you know, he's doing what we were hoping that Godwin would do. Uh, it just doesn't seem like Mayfield and Godwin have connected to the same level that he and uh, that Mayfield and Mike Evans have connected. And Kate Otten is emerging now at a very troublesome position, the tight end position. So for him to uh, be on the field a lot in a, what's been sort of a pass uh, efficient offense with Mayfield. I mean, 8.8 yards per attempt last week, 265 yards, two touchdowns. Both of them went to Otten. Uh, you know, that's not, he's not going to do this every week, but he could be a five for 50 type player, especially if he's uh, seeing more targets than Chris Godwin is on a weekly basis. The 49ers and the Jaguars <clears throat> return from the bye for San Francisco. And I'm excited because the last three games, the 49ers offense has struggled. Five interceptions, two fumbles from Brock Purdy. But the point is, Purdy leads the league in completion rate and yards per attempt from a clean pocket. And this Jags defense has been massively overrated based on their numbers behind the scenes. Just 25th in creating pressure and 26th in sacks. So with both Trent Williams and Debo Samuel presumably back at full health, I think it's going to be a smash spot for the 49ers offense here. Uh, also talking about coverages and splits the Jags play zone on 80% of their defensive snaps it's what they lean on and Ayuk 61% of his targets this year against zone coverage for the second most yards per catch and a league high yard per route run so we kind of know where the ball's going to George Kittle only 11% target share when he showed, shared the field with Debo Samuel this year that's the guy we kind of lose confidence in even though you start him because you were aware of the roller coaster ceiling he has either way we got to get on top of all the 49ers here yeah, this is certainly one where you would want to start Kittle because this is a pass funnel Jaguars defense. They've given up the third most passing yards and the third fewest rushing yards uh, per game. So certainly the way that the 49ers would be wise to attack them is through the air. So that bodes well for Purdy and certainly for Ayuk, who's having a great year. Uh, Debo Samuel coming back off the injury and George Kittle. I'm guessing one of those two will not or one of those three will not deliver. Uh, because it just seems like that's how it works with the 49ers, a two out of the three deliver, and the other one has a quiet game. Uh, but they should, uh, on the whole, do very well. And I would expect Christian McCaffrey to get there as well with some rushing yards, but a lot of receiving yards as well. On the other side of the ball, where you attack the 49ers is the boundary. And I believe we're going to get Zay Jones back at full health for this game. And if that's the case, the last time we saw Zay Jones play a full game, that was week one, 
and he had a 21.8% target share and played in two wide sets from the boundary over Christian Kirk. The following week, he did play 60% of the snaps. He got injured, but still had two end zone targets that he dropped. He could have scored two touchdowns and a 14.6% target share. So I do actually like starting Zay Jones in this game if he plays more as a wide receiver three or four option around Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. Yeah, and I, you know, I think this is a uh, high zone team, uh, the 49ers, uh, which I think would bode well according to your splits for Calvin Ridley as well, uh, especially if Zay Jones sits. I think maybe Calvin Ridley is even more startable, even though he's been pretty spotty this year. The Zay Jones thing with his knee is weird because, uh, you know, two days ago they were saying that he might, you know, they weren't they weren't ruling out IR for him, like now going on IR now, and now he's practicing. Yeah, Wednesday and Thursday, he's practicing limited. It did, he did go for a second opinion. He's making progress. Uh, he does not believe he was rushed back. So I'm interested to see if he's even active. I'm not 100% sold that he will be. Um, but this does seem like, you know, Christian Kirk has been solid all year, but this does seem like it'd be a Ridley game, especially if Jose Jones sits. And for Calvin Ridley, again, just given what the 49ers are allowing out wide, Ridley was also getting different kinds of routes with Zay Jones on the field, whereas Christian Kirk was the one being asked to catch the ball more in the intermediate level. So with Zay Jones back, I think we may see a slight tweak in Ridley's route tree, which makes me have a little more confidence in him this week too. For the Lions at the Chargers, the Lions have their defense anyways, has failed the only two tests they've had. They have had such a soft schedule. And Geno Smith threw for 328 and two touchdowns in week two. Lamar Jackson a few weeks back went for 357 and three. And so I do worry about like their futures and how they're viewed as an actual playoff contender. Having said that, I don't think the Chargers are that offense to bounce back. Without Mike Williams since week four, they've lost all their potency. Uh, they're 20th in yards per attempt, Justin Herbert is, in that span. He's completed less than 60% of his passes in four of the last five games. And now, no Josh Palmer with Quentin Johnston struggling. I wrote up Johnston in the waiver wire because we did see the usage bump we wanted. Um, literally led the team in routes run, a route on 95% of dropbacks. And it was against the Jets, who are allowing nearly five fewer fancy points per game to opposing wide receivers. We don't think anyone gets there against the Jets. So I really don't care how Johnston performed against New York. But the point is, I don't, I think this Chargers offense really may struggle because they're just lacking any kind of ceiling without Mike Williams. Yeah. And it's not just Mike Williams. You alluded to it. Josh Palmer was doing a pretty good Mike Williams impersonation prior to his injury, but he's out and it sounds pretty bad for his knee that he's not going to be back anytime soon. Quentin Johnston has proved so far that he is not ready to to do it. So mm-hmm. you're just Keenan Allen, short stuff. Austin Eckler, short stuff. Gerald Everett, short stuff. There's not a lot of field stretching going on there with this. And I would expect this to be a high-scoring game under normal circumstances, but given the personnel issues for the Chargers, I'm not so sure this is going to go over. I do think that the Lions offense should be good. Um, but you know, Keenan Allen, you start, uh, Austin Eckler, you're going to start. I expect him to have a bounce back game in terms of receiving. Uh, and I think, I think Gerald Everett is a viable streamer at the tight end position, but you know, I'm not expecting 30 plus points out of this Chargers team. Let's talk about that Lions offense because David Montgomery coming back and remember when he was healthy, he was averaging 23 carries per game. 
But Jameer Gibbs has looked so damn good the past two weeks. I don't know how they put the genie back in the bottle. Not only that, but the Chargers play the 10th highest rate of zone coverage, and I'm torn because with David Montgomery in, the Lions didn't want to be that team that attacked. Uh, they averaged the fifth highest run play rate from neutral game script on offense. So I would think that they want to ground and pound here. On the other hand, Jared Goff has smoked zone coverage this year. 70% completion rate and is tied with Kirk Cousins with a league-high eight touchdowns against zone coverage. So I, I suspect they'll get there no matter what. The Lions covering actually is one of my favorite bets of the week. But I actually don't know how they're going to play this one. So how do you have Gibbs and Montgomery ranked in Montgomery's return? Well, they, the Chargers have been a pass funnel. Uh, I believe that they are third in passing yards allowed. Because they've um, been good against the run quietly. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, they've given up the sixth fewest uh, rushing yards, 2.7 yards per carry, 90 yards. But I mean, the Lions are uh, certainly an above average rush team. So I have uh, Montgomery at 18 and Gibbs at 19 right now. And those, those rankings started more uh, separated because I figured that Montgomery would be heading back to his uh, usual role with maybe just a few more touches for Gibbs, but it does sound like from uh, Dan Campbell's press conference that this might be a closer, he's talk, kept talking about how Jameer Gibbs was, has been getting so much better and that he's going to get his touches for sure. So he's not going to be shut out of this offense like he was at times when Montgomery was fully healthy. So I think you're looking at more of a timeshare. Also, the Chargers are uh, susceptible to pass catching running backs. They've given up the second most uh, receiving yards to the running back position this year, 426. They did an eight games. Some of these teams on this list have nine games played already. So they're, they're way up there in terms of uh, yards allowed to uh, receiving backs. So, I mean, Montgomery can catch the ball too, but you know, Gibbs is obviously uh, that's one of the things he does very well. So I think Gibbs is, you know, you kind of have to start him given what he did uh, last time we saw him play. Um, I just, I'm worried that the ceiling won't be there for him, but I do think that this is going to be more of a closer to 50, 50 split, even though Montgomery is very likely to lead in carries. And for those looking for a post buy bump for Jamison Williams, encouragingly, he was targeted on six of 26 routes the last time we saw them, but they added Donovan people's Jones at the trade deadline, and I think that's because they're just unhappy understanding that they believe they're contenders, that they need something, someone immediately. No. And Jamison yeah. Williams' development, he's going to be fine for Dynasty Leagues. He's going to be fine for his career, most likely. But but I think they want, yes, someone to step in right now in that DJ Chark role to uncork it over the top. And say what you will about Donovan Peoples-Jones this year. Last year, he did have a little mini breakout with 890 receiving yards at 23 years old. So I think that's how they view him. I'd be very skeptical of starting either of them this week. And let's just see how that usage shakes out. That is not an endorsement of Jamison Williams' trade for Donovan right. Peoples-Jones because of what he does and what Jamison Williams does right now. I mean, it's very much a, a we're not happy with what production we're getting out of this position, so we're going to find another person to compete with that player or perhaps just take it over. They lost Marvin Jones, I think. Uh, so that was maybe the role that he was supposed to play. Uh, uh, Josh Reynolds hasn't been as productive the last couple of weeks as well, so it could be an indictment of him. Uh, but I know they speak glowingly of, of Josh Reynolds and what he brings to the offense as well in terms of blocking and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I definitely you know, am skeptical about Jamison Williams' breakout coming anytime soon unless he takes this as uh, 
you know, light this lights a fire under him and he's able to fend off DPJ. I think uh, Peoples Jones actually has a little bit of upside in this offense. And by the way, Amonra St. Brown has the seventh highest target share against zone coverage. So we don't think either of them are going to get there anyways, as both Laporta and AARSB just continue soaking up those targets in this specific spot. Falcons at the Cardinals. Lots of moving pieces. And I want to get your thoughts on where you have Tyler Murray ranked in his return. Yeah, so this is a, it's a little dicey. He's been out for a while, uh, yeah. shaky. But then you're also looking at the QB2 rankings this week, and they're not pretty. I mean, we've got Mahomes, Tua, Jalen Hurts all out. Yeah. So you're, you're missing three of your top six or seven guys. So you've got some goofballs in the top ten. Like Sam Howell and uh, and Geno Smith. Listen, you be a uh, little you be a little kinder to Sam Howell. Like when you, you know when I love you, Sam. When you lead the league he's, in dropbacks per game, you're going to get there every week. Yeah, I know, but I, you know, I you know I love Sam Howell. He's my favorite late round pick this year. Uh, did not think I did not see a top whatever seven finish in his future, but they are throwing the right. ball at a very high rate. I just think he's kind of a goofball to have in the you know at, at eight quarterback. Oh yeah, eight. for sure. Um, so uh, love what he's doing, uh, but. I have Murray, you know, in a in a matchup where Atlanta's 27th now and adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They've kind of slipped in that metric a little bit. I've got Murray at 12. And I, I would start him over Russell Wilson against Buffalo or Baker Mayfield against Tennessee, even though that's a pretty good matchup for Baker Mayfield. I'd start him over Josh Dobbs at 15, Jordan Love. I mean, these are the guys that are you're looking at in the QB2 rankings. I'd roll the dice and go with Kyler Murray. We, whenever he's been healthy, he has been a top six or seven quarterback. Maybe it's not the greatest game for him this week. Maybe he's not running the ball as much as he typically does, but I still think he can get there. They've got plenty of talent uh, on that team. If James Conner's back, Marquise Brown's healthy, Trey McBride's coming on. They've got uh, Michael Wilson, the uh, uh, rookie receiver, has been impressive. Mm-hmm. I think Rondale Moore is now a live sneaky start sleeper, dart throw type guy again. Uh, he averaged about 55 yards, I think, with – with uh, Kyler Murray in the lineup last year. So there's enough going on here, and the the, the Falcons are shaky enough now in, in the secondary that I think Murray is a low-end QB1, high-end QB2. So I actually come down on the opposite end of that because I, I've been asked so much this week. I think it's actually the question of the week is, are you starting Kyler Murray? And, man, in his first game back off a torn ACL, suffered in December as a rushing quarterback – I actually don't think I want to start him. I want to be more skeptical of things in his first one. And so, you know, some of the quarterbacks you mentioned, I would actually start uh, Geno Smith, Sam Howe, Will Levis, and I'd take Josh Dobbs' rushing floor. We didn't didn't talk about that, but Dobbs has added 4.8 rushing points in seven of his last eight starts, at least. Like, he's getting there on the ground. I think I'd rather just take that given all of their matchups over Kyler Murray. Even for Dobbs, the Saints are allowing the second most rushing yards per game to opposing quarterbacks. So I think I can squeeze them there. And that's the way I'm viewing the situation personally. Yeah, and I was shaking my head yes and no on that for those that are listening on the podcast. But yes, Howell and Gino, <laughs> I have I have over Murray this week, but I do have Murray ahead of Dobbs and uh, uh, Will Levis. But I think it's just I don't want to tell Kyler – that he can't start for me after holding him on, holding on to him the whole year and telling him, I'm going to start Josh Dobbs over him. I think this is, that would be an insult, a bridge too far. We would not get along the rest of the year. And I think he would kind of quit on me. So I'm going to start Kyler in this situation. Completely 
fair. I do have confidence in Marquise Brown since we've seen last year, six games with Kyler and without DeAndre Hopkins to open the year. Brown was the wide receiver, eight in points per game and recorded a 24% target share. So I don't mind going back to that spot. Yes, I have him ranked as a mid-range QB2 or wide receiver two. You know, he's he's significantly higher than consensus this week. It's just a big upgrade. And uh, what Kyler Murray has offered on average has way higher in terms of uh, yardage and passing touchdowns than what the Cardinals receivers were enjoying this year with Joshua Dobbs and others at quarterback. Through the air for the Falcons, I'm also curious if we're going to get Drake London back because Taylor Heineke is winging it. He's one of only four quarterbacks averaging over 10 air yards per attempt since he took over a couple weeks ago. And the Cardinals have allowed the second highest completion rate on throws 10 yards downfield. So if London is back, I'm absolutely putting him right back in my lineup, thinking he's going to get those downfield targets and lead the team in targets. But really, everyone wants to know what we're doing with Bijan Robinson, because this is not a Bijan thing. This is an Arthur Smith thing. And I don't know if the turnaround is in this spot. So where do you have Bijan ranked? I have him ranked as a talent-based uh, RB12 for the year, or for this for this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Cardinals are 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position, so there should be plenty of running room. Uh, you know, I think at a certain point, coaches who are even this stubborn get sick and tired of standing up there and explaining why they're not using one of their most talented players Mm-hmm. You know, he this this is unprecedented in terms of the quality of player and the sort of how he's being jerked around and not used correctly. Now, yes, he had to answer some questions. He still has answered some questions about Kyle Pitts, but that's kind of gone away. Now, everybody just expects him not to use Kyle Pitts properly. But he's standing there looking extremely miserable, trying to justify not giving the ball to B. John Robinson. So I think at some point he's going to relent and it's going to be a 60-40 65-35 backfield with Bijan getting fed. And I don't know if it's going to be this week, but Bijan should have a good week, even if he only gets 10 to 15 touches because of this matchup with the Cardinals. It's favorable. Uh, I don't, I'm not confident, um, but, you know, as a high-end RB2, I think you kind of have to run him out there given his talent. Tyler Algier also with 10 carries inside the 10-yard line to Bijan's two. So that's another role that Bijan doesn't have. I don't know if it ever clicks, honestly. I don't think I trust Smith, and I prefer to lean that way. So sure, you can start Bijan, probably because we're all in a situation where we have to, but do I have confidence in him turning it around and getting more usage? No, not at all. Absolutely. He did, you know, Arthur Smith did take a big step forward when he shaved his mustache. Like that was... Sure. That was a good decision. So maybe the growing man. All right. Well, maybe he won't give Johnny Smith a goal line carry then. Maybe we are actually improving a little bit here. Moving on, the commanders at the Seahawks. Let's start with the Seahawks side of the ball because I understand to this point it's been frustrating. The Seahawks coming off again, a performance against an historically great defense in the Ravens. They didn't get there. But in the commanders' first game without Montez Sweat and Chase Young, they only pressured Mac Jones last week on 23% of his dropbacks and recorded one sack. For reference, they were generating pressure on 36% of dropbacks through week eight. And Gino's been turning the ball over, but from a clean pocket, he's still averaging eight yards per attempt, the sixth most in the NFL. So if we think he's just going to be standing back there and not under duress, I think it's a start all the dudes game for the Seahawks offense because I would imagine Metcalf, 
Lockett and JSN all get there here. Yeah, I think this, you know, the, the fantasy managers who have Geno or still have Geno, maybe they have a Stroud, maybe they have a Howell. Uh, you, you probably want to start those two over him. But I think this week against Washington, 30th and just a fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Uh, he should deliver this week. And this is also a, a commander's offense that should put up some points. They're throwing the ball at an extremely high rate. Uh, last week, it was it was 20 to 17 against New England, but that's just basically because New England can keep up, I don't think. And Washington, you know, only had to score 20 in order to get, pull out the win. This one should be a little bit higher scoring, I would think. Uh, Seahawks just got destroyed for 37 points. I don't think Washington will do that to them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I could see both teams scoring in the 20s here, maybe high 20s, and it, it could be kind of a mini shootout. Um, Gino, uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, all startable. A little less confident in Smith and Jigba. He's uh, dinged up, but I think he's even startable as a wide receiver four type uh, this week. It's just such a good matchup through the passing game. It's a good matchup for everyone in Washington, too, because since they returned from their bye last month, the Seahawks are the only are the only defense allowing over five yards per carry to opposing running backs. And we have seen now, since they're done with that, whatever the hell the Chris Rodriguez, Derek Gore experimentation was in their last few games, now the seas have pardoned. They've given roles to Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. Gibson, the true pass catching back with five targets in back-to-back games. And Brian Robinson this past week has outcarried Gibson or the past two games, 28 to eight. And so both of those guys can get there in this type of environment. Yes. And you're expecting Robinson to be the primary touchdown scorer. So you can get away, you know, he only has three catches in the last two weeks, but yeah, you can get, you can get away with that. Uh, if he's uh, likely to score a touchdown, he gets those six points uh, and maybe, maybe he gets two of them. Uh, but 28 carries for 122 yards, over the last two weeks, 53% of the snaps, Gibson, 47% of the snaps, and they, they stopped with the Chris Rodriguez stuff. So that's good. Uh, agree. Uh, Gibson is kind of a sneaky in a PPR format, maybe gets there with, uh, you know, four or five catches and, you know, maybe breaks one. He's, he's a pretty good player when he has ball in his hands. He's not fumbling it. I will talk about Gibson more on the DFS show for sure. Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Also, we've seen the last three games now without Curtis Samuel. Uh, Jahan Dotson pop up for a 19.9% target share. And I still question the ceiling of both him and Terry McLaurin since the ball is going everywhere. Sam Howell's now hitting every receiver possible that's running routes. Even Jameson Crowder has seen a 13.6% target share in back-to-back games. But Dotson is at least showing he has a high floor as a wide receiver three or four as long as Curtis Samuel remains out. Yeah, he's he's capitalizing on that uh, those expectations, or he's at least meeting those expectations that we had in the preseason for for Dotson, and when he was creeping up into the sixth, seventh round uh, with the to- Terry McLaurin uh, toe injury, if you remember that, all, all that stuff going mm-hmm. on. Uh, so now Dotson's actually for those that have stuck with him and at least benched him and didn't cut him, uh, he is uh, now delivering pretty good numbers, and I still think he will this week. You know, Curtis Samuel being back does impact him a little bit, but it also seems like this might be a Jahan Dotson is finally realizing those expectations and is and is getting there as a solid wide receiver three. The Giants at the Cowboys. And yes, you're not seeing that incorrectly. A professional football team has an 11 and a half point team total as Tommy Danny DeVito has nowhere to hide 
in this game from the Cowboys defense. So let's just talk about the Cowboys offense because everyone is rightfully frustrated with Tony Pollard. The thing is why I'm still starting Pollard, but I'm a little bit worried here is that this has become Dak's team. It's the highest team total on the board. And you can see that based on game script, everyone thinks it's a Pollard game. But suddenly, in his last three games around their bye, not only is Dak offering a higher floor with five and a half carries per start in that time, the Cowboys are passing the ball at the fifth highest rate with an eight-point lead. They're not even running the ball when they have a lead. And that's why Dak Prescott, who's been one of the league's best quarterbacks this year, has rattled off three consecutive top three finishes for fantasy. So, yes, Tony Pollard could get there. Either way, though, it is CeeDee Lamb, Dak Prescott, and Jake Ferguson. And that's the core of the Cowboys' offense right now. Yeah, and I think the 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 Eagles game for, for Tony Pollard was not a, an abject disaster. I mean, he had 63 total, y- yeah, total yards against the Eagles, and he almost had the touchdown. Uh, or he had a touchdown called back due to a penalty, I believe. So... Um, I think that actually bodes well. Uh, he has done well in his games when he's had favorable matchups in terms of AFPA. He had two touchdowns against and 82 total yards against the Giants. He actually did pretty well against the Jets as well. Uh, he had 121 total yards against Arizona the first three weeks. Those are green matchups in AFPA. Now he's got another green matchup in, against the Giants, who are 26th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Next week, 31st, the, the Carolina Panthers coming into town. Or no, at they're going to Carolina to play Washington after that, Seattle after that. So he's got four uh, teams, four matchups, 18th or lower in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So I think we might see a little reemergence here of, of uh, Pollard uh, as a you know solid RB one. Any interest in anyone on the Giants? Probably <laughs> say, I understand Saquon Barkley has 110 yeah. touches in his in the last month of the season. But even then, it's just impossible for him to get there. He's like a touch-based option. You're holding your nose and starting. Yeah, he's you know ranked RB eleven uh, for me. I he's just he's there because he might see thirty touches. Like he conceivably could see thirty touches. I don't know if he'll help be able to sustain drives enough for him to get to that sort of level. But you know, certainly twenty to twenty-five touches is, seems likely. I don't like anybody else in this offense. I mean, for obvious reasons. Sunday night, somehow, the Jets are once again in our lives in prime time. Let's start with the Raiders' side of the ball because Antonio Pierce takes over, and all it takes usually is a culture change. You just have to have someone who actually listens to the players. Not only does the cool and logical thing in inviting all the practice squad players onto the field because, as he said, they're part of the team, but by listening and being a hard-nosed coach, they then just run the ball last week down their opponent's throat. And they finished with the highest run play weight, 58% of their plays, leaning on Josh Jacobs. And I think that's where we're going here, is having confidence yet again in Josh Jacobs and what is always a good game script against this Jets offense who just can't score points whatsoever. But everyone's frustrated with the passing game, and rightfully so. Aiden O'Connell, now a Jets secondary that you can see the white and Robert Sala's eyes basically going to war every Sunday because his defense is doing the part. His defense has limited Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. They're doing their job, but damn, if they can't score any amount of points because Zach Wilson is so bad. So what are you doing with Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers? 
Yeah, this looks like it'll be it's going to be a run heavy game. I would think the Raiders are second in rushing yards allowed. The Jets are third in rushing yards allowed per game. Uh, so I would expect Brees Hall and Josh Jacobs to be the centerpieces of their respective offenses. I'm quite low. I no, don't remember the last time I had Devontae Adams ranked at wide receiver 20 or lower, but not only is he just struggling in general, uh, he is getting targets from O'Connell to a degree, mm-hmm. um, but this matchup against the Jets, their first adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to uh, receivers, he will be the number one player we need to stop on this. Uh, I mean, they've, they've been okay with teams running against them. They're, they're, they're fine with the bend don't break sort of offense or, def- or defensive strategy. They do not want uh, Devontae Adams to get off on them and uh, so I, I don't, you know, I have him ranked as a wide receiver too, low end wide receiver too, which is unusual, certainly for Adams. I don't think that Jacoby Myers is a good start, even though he got the t- end, end zone uh, rush last yeah. week on the, you got the touchdown rush, I think on a reverse, whatever it was. Um, just don't, this is going to be a low scoring game probably with, it's going to be a short game because there's going to be tons and tons of carries for Brees Hall and for, for uh, Josh Jacobs. So that's the way for the, each of these teams to try to win this game. Still have all the confidence in the world and Brees Hall too as he continues to separate from Dalvin Cook. You're obviously starting him and don't even mind trying to trade for him because he's had enough big plays the past few weeks that he's even showing he can break out and separate regardless of Zach Wilson's performance. So someone I don't mind trying to get for the fantasy playoffs. And finally, Monday night, the Broncos at the Bills. And my... My concern here for a Bills bounce back is that I don't think anyone's taking into account that the Broncos' defense has turned the corner over the last month. They had too many good players to continue being an historically awful unit. And now we've seen in the last month, they not only crept up to an above-average team in pressure rate, but also 12th in yards per attempt and 10th in limiting explosive passes for 15 yards over the top. And so I can see this be more of a grinded out game considering like the way you attack the Broncos is on the ground and the Bills running backs are averaging the fewest touches per game out of any backfield in the league because their team just doesn't trust them and you can't blame them. So I I think it's a sneaky one for Jamonte Williams coming off of a season high 78% of backfield touches and 30 raw touches altogether. I think it's a pretty good spot for him against this Bills defense that has fallen apart without Milano and Tredavious White the past month. Yeah, the Bills are 21st in just fantasy points allowed to running back. So I've got Javante Williams at 13. We've seen him now yeah. in a a almost a bell cow role for the for the Broncos. And the Bills defense, as you mentioned, has taken a big step back. So I in my I'm also worried about the Bills. I think they will win this game, but I think it might be it might be closer than what people are thinking. I I had them penciled in in my Survivor League this week, but I switched it over to the Cowboys given the 17-point favorite that the Cowboys have. So I, if I lose and I'm knocked out, it's still going to be really funny because the Cowboys lost to the to the Giants with Danny DeVito at, at quarterback, as you mentioned. So just wanted to throw that out there into the uh, into the universe. But, uh, you know, Josh Allen, fine. Uh and I, I'm wondering if Leonard Fournette's going to be active. I'm looking at him probably to take over the Latavius Murray role. And if he starts rumbling yeah. at all, then he could eat into James Cook's role a bit. Um, I'm, I'm fine with Diggs. Uh, I think the question really for people is, is Gabe Davis, uh, Kilio Shakir, do you want to start these guys? Um, Davis 
has been, you just sort of have to, if you have him and you don't have any other options, you just leave him in there. And then sometimes he wins a week for you. And sometimes he loses a week for you. Uh, this is an interesting one. I could see him pop up here and have a good game. Um, but Khalil, uh, Khalil Shakir has been the higher floor option over the last couple of weeks for sure. Coach Kerr's a wide receiver 17 in points per game these past couple of weeks since, yeah, you know, they're running they're running three wide sets on over 80% of their dropbacks. And he's seen consistent targets, so yeah. he's certainly more trustworthy. I, I think that Gabe Davis has multi-touchdown mm-hmm. upside in any given week, but he also has a goose egg uh, downside. Uh, and obviously Kincaid is a must start at tight end. So, you know, I think for the bills, you're okay. Just wondering if they're going to be able to win this game. I think it's, you know, the, the, the defensive shakiness for the bills is good for their offense because they now have to put up points in order to keep up, uh, with the opponent. I mentioned Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall as players. I want to buy for the second half of the season, add Javante Williams, who actually might be my number one for the fantasy playoffs. Because from week 10 on, this week moving forward, the Broncos have the fourth easiest projected schedule of opposing run defenses. And that's kind of become their identity, is moving the ball through Javante, who's clearly at full health. So that's my favorite player, honestly, to try and trade for right now. We said it all. What else do you have on the site for everyone this week, Paulson? Sneaky starts is up. I'm doing a... So to read that, I'm doing a Discord chat here in an hour and a half. Uh, for subscribers so if you're a subscriber get in there and ask a question uh, and obviously just keeping up on these uh, wonderful rankings a short week with four teams out it's it's been all these injuries it's been uh, you know challenging to keep up with everything half off for the rest of the year using the promo code bets plural bets 50 not bet 50 as i said at the top not only that but we will also have a trade deadline show uh not with myself but next week with brandon owls the great Ryan McDowell of Dynasty League Football, and Pat Fitzmaurice of Fantasy Pros. Excited to see those friends talk about uh, some of the players I've probably talked about today. So until then, remember we will also be back for the DFS show, which I suggest everyone watch because we do talk about a lot of the things we may have missed on today's show, specifically for matchups that can help you put your start sets Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Until then, you know the rule. Be a little bit kinder than what's required.